If you will, get your Bibles or open your iPhones, whatever, uh, to Revelation chapter 12. And also, um, Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Revelation 12, Matthew 6, 9 and 10. We're good back there. We're going. All right. Excellent. Our wonderful advocate intercessor. This is part two in this message. Picking up from last week. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Has what theologians call a parenthetical insertion. Which means, have you ever read in... in um, read either in the Bible or in a novel or in a book, uh, you're following a narrative and the writer decides to stop at an important point and insert some information. It's not necessarily in the chronology of what's being laid out, but it's important to the reader to know. That's called a parenthetical insertion. Here in the book of Revelations, which is a chronology, it's a laying out in chronological order of events that are going to take place. In chapter 12, the Lord stops and inserts a very important piece of information that we need to know about. And it has to do with Satan being cast down out of heaven and Jesus rising up into heaven as the advocate and as the one who ever lives to make intercession. And that's what we're going to read about. So even though I'm reading this out of Revelation... I don't want you to think when you read this that that means that this is going to happen sometime in the future because this has already happened. This already took place and the, and, uh, the Lord wanted this inserted at this point because He wanted people to have hope and faith and understand the authority they had over the enemy. So you ready? All right. Revelation 12, verse 7. Now war arose in heaven... Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now... The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been cast down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death. Now, just by way of review, I need to pick up on a thought from last week, and that is that Satan once had access to heaven. If you've ever read the book of Job, you know that, that the angels of God gathered. And the Bible says, and, and Satan was with them. And the Lord asked him, well, have you, what's been going on? He says, well, I've been walking around in the earth. And, and uh, God said, well, have you considered my wonderful servant Job? And, and the devil begins to badmouth Job. He starts saying, well, yeah, but he's serving you because you've made him rich and you've protected him and you've blessed him. But it, it's really not coming from his heart. There's no real true dynamic change in Job. It's just that he's doing so well, of course, he's not going to bite the hand that feeds him. That's what the devil was saying. So the devil once had access to the presence of God. And he was up in heaven 
Even though he had fallen, he was a fallen being, he was able to get back into heaven by becoming our Lord, the Lord of mankind. When Adam fell, he put himself under Satan's dominion. He received the devil's nature. And so when heaven would convene and the angels of God would come together before the throne of God, the devil would come up representing man. And so we used to be represented by the one that is called the accuser of the brethren, the brothers and sisters, our accuser. Now, essentially what the devil was doing was he was dangling God's man, God's creation in his face. That creation that had been made in the image and likeness of God, that had been beautiful and filled with God's love and with his nature, now marred and corrupted, inward and outward corruption. And the devil was dangling him before God saying, yeah, you could make him, but your nature in him couldn't keep him. I, put, I got him to take my nature and I control him. He serves me, not you. And so the devil's dangling man before God, basically asserting the proudful boast that got him kicked out of heaven in the first place, which is, I will exalt my throne above the most high God because I can, I can be like God. And he came and he said that to Adam in the garden. He said, you can be like God. He has said the same lie over and over again. So now he thinks he has proof that he's as good as God. And he's dangling not just Job, but Abraham and David and every single one of us, every member of mankind, the devil would bring before God in a boastful accusation and said, you could make them, but I control them. You can't keep them. You can't control them. Love doesn't win. Sin wins. People don't keep love, but they will never abandon sin. Do you understand that the nature of the argument that the devil, as the accuser, brought before God? So he flaunts man as his property, and uh, man fell under Satan's dominion. And Satan had the power to represent man in heaven because there was no redeemer. There was no one to save man. Every human child that was born was born in sin, and sin would rise up and have its effect on it. And some were better than others. And you know the nature of people. People always say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Well, I'm not running around with those people. You know, so we, what we do is uh, man uh, kind of created for himself a sense of uh, relative righteousness. You know, I'm with this group, and they're the right group, and I'm not with the wrong group. I don't run with a bad crowd. I'm okay. You know, I do, I, you know, take care of my children, and I work for my family, and I, you know, I don't do this, and I don't do that. Relative righteousness, which is just another form of self-righteousness. But man could not get away from the fact that he was born corrupted in sin. And that fact was, was there, and it was, it was uh, transferred to every single child that Adam was produced from his race until this happened. Until this happened. But he was defeated, Revelation 12, 8. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The devil and his angels were cast out. And I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power of the kingdom of God has come. That struck me. I had read that for years as a Christian. And then I realized, my goodness, 
At the moment that Jesus ascended up from the grave, having died on Calvary's cross, the moment he rose up and ascended, it triggered a great war in heaven. The Bible says Michael and his angels took hold of that rat and literally just threw him like yesterday's garbage out of heaven. And the Bible says never, ever, never again would the devil's voice be heard in heaven. Never again would he stand before the face of God. Never again would he ever talk about you or I in the presence of God. He is a liar and the father of lies. He has always been a liar, said, I don't have to put up with your lies anymore. Do you know why? Because the advocate rose up. The Bible says, He, Jesus, who fills all things, rose up and filled the heavens, high above the heavens and the earth. When the advocate arose, the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession. Could I say it like this? Jesus ever lives to be the intercession. That means Jesus isn't up there on his knees praying to the Father, Oh Lord, please don't be angry at them. I know they goofed up last week. See, that's what we think. When it says he ever lives to make intercession, we get these ridiculous, over-religious, fanciful ideas. That is not at all what the Bible says. The Bible teaches that he radiates from his being. He sits on the seat of glory. His work is a completed and accomplished work. And he ever lives radiating the intercession that shouts throughout the eternities and fills the heavens before the throne of God saying, She is the righteousness of God in Christ. Her sins are removed. She's a child of God. The devil can't get in. His access is barred. He's exiled. He's cast down. There is, the Bible says, there is no room. There is no place. Are you listening? I'm doing better preaching than you are amening. I can tell you that right now. Praise the Lord. I hope that changes, but all right. That voice shouted in the heaven, Now salvation, the power of the kingdom of God, the authority of His Christ have come. Not are coming, not will come. Things are turning. No, it has come. The kingdom has come. Now it has come. That announcement was made 2,000 years ago. Nothing has changed since that time. Are you listening, church? Why has it come? Why did the heavens declare, now has come salvation? The Bible says, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters is cast down. The kingdom of God is... You want to know what the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is where the kingdom of the devil isn't. The kingdom of God is where Satan has been cast out. Somebody say, praise the Lord. See where we're getting with this. So Jesus ascends into the heavens as man's advocate. I don't have the time to go into it. I've done a lot of preaching about it. But I just want to cite the fact that Jesus is man and God. He is the perfect intercessor. Finally, one of the sons of Adam has risen up, having conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. He's risen up and he represents man, but he's God at the same time. In fact, if you follow the teaching of the Apostle Paul in the Bible, you'll find that somewhere he says 
There is one God and one man, and one intercessor, advocate between God and man, one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. Do you know that God has taken on His creation? He has taken into His nature part of His creation. Part of what makes God God is humanity. That's a mind blower. That's a mind blower, but that's good preaching. The Bible says Jesus is the God-man. Hallelujah. The man Christ Jesus. There's a man sitting on the throne of glory. His name is Jesus. I just want you to understand why he's authorized to be the intercessor. He's not there sweating, spending, let's see, it's been three hours. I think it's been enough time on my knees praying. He is not working at praying. Get this silly idea out of your head that Jesus isn't up there muttering and sputtering out prayers. He simply exists as the proof that you are victorious over sin, sickness, and all the devil's devices. He lives. His, his living is His intercession. His existence is His intercession. He ever lives to make intercession. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So while that's great news for heaven, what about us down here on the earth? So however great that is, there's this to deal with. Because the very next verse in Revelation chapter 12, where it says, They overcame me by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Guess what it says next? Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you that dwell in them. But woe to you. O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. So where is the accuser of the brethren today? He's upon the earth. He can't talk to God. He can't bad mouth you to God. He can't speak to God. He can't speak to the angels of God. He has lost all ability, all authority to say anything to God about your sins. You need to hear this this morning. You need to hear this. The devil has not in over 2,000 years been able to speak to God, get a message to God, tweet God, text God, email God, call Him on the phone. Throw a rock with a note on it through God's window. He has not in over 2,000 years been able to get one message to God about the sins of man. Now I want you to stick that in your soup and cook it and eat it. You need that in your spirit. This idea that God is on one shoulder and the devil on the other... And they're arguing back and forth against who has authority over your life is a lie. So if the accuser's been cast out, where is he? Where is he accusing? Where is he operating? Upon the earth. Heaven gave the warning. Woe to you on the earth. He's come down with great wrath. So the devil's still accusing. He's still bad-mouthing. As a matter of fact, he has never shut up. In fact, since he got cast out, he's really angry 
The Bible says great wrath. He's filled with great wrath. So he has stepped up his accusation. He's freaked out because the Bible says he knows he's on a short leash. He knows he only has a little bit of time. He knows he's failed. He knows through Calvary's cross that he never is going to be equal with God. His, his, uh, his effort to overwhelm God or to compete with God has lost. He already knows he's lost, but he hasn't been reined in yet. He's been limited to the earth, so he's really angry. Who is he taking that anger out on? Who is he speaking all those lies to that he used to speak to God? You. And everybody else around us. Are you listening to me this morning? Everything he used to say to God, he's now saying to you. And boy, let me tell you, he holds nothing back. He lies to you about God just like he lied to Eve about God. He takes and cooks up these messages to you that sound so authentic and legitimate because he takes a little bit of what you did last week and a little bit of what you did three years ago. He gets a little profile on you and he spins it up and projects it. And he says, you know you're going to screw up next week. And you know that you are not going to be successful. And you know you're going to fail. And by the way, can I tell you, the Bible says that if you uh, consider iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. God is not listening to you. He still lies about speaking for God. But he's completely lying. He's down here setting us against one another. He's talking to us about one another. He's lying to you about you. He's lying to you about other people. The accuser is here knowing that he has a short amount of time. So I need to make that clear. But he's not in heaven. I said he's not in heaven. God's not listening to him. Now listen, if God doesn't want to hear it, he doesn't want you to hear it. Come on. That was your chance to shout. If God doesn't want to hear it, he cast him out so he doesn't have to listen to it. He doesn't want you listening to it. Come on, let me say it again. I'm going to use English this time. If Jesus doesn't want to listen to it, if the Father only wants to hear what the Son is saying, if the Father just wants to hear their mind, and nobody can pluck them out of my hand, I have made them righteous through the blood of land. They are forgiven. If God only hears He who lives to make intercession. He doesn't want to listen to the one who's dead, talking death, insinuating death, sowing death. Then why should we listen to it? Are you hearing me this morning? In fact, God doesn't want you listening to it. Stop listening to the dead man. Hallelujah. I'm going to amen myself here in a moment. Praise the Lord. So then the question uh, that we're left with with this morning is, uh, how do we apply the victory here upon the earth? If we're dealing with the accuser down here, but the fact is, is that the kingdom of God has already come. The Bible says, now has come the kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God has come, then how do we apply that victory here where we are still in the midst of a battle? It seems contradictory, and um, it, it, uh, the, the two truths are so contrasting 
that, uh, that we have victory and the kingdom of God has come, but yet we're here in this place of conflict still going through this struggle. How do we apply heaven's victory over the devil here on the earth? Is that a fair question? Do you think if you could answer that question, it would answer all your questions? You think the answer to that question would unlock every other question in life? How can I take the victory that Jesus has settled in heaven, the kingdom, the accusers cast out, everything's good? How could I do, uh, apply that victory on earth? Don't you think that answer would take care of all the other questions? It would solve everything, wouldn't it? All right, good. So you're going to, I just wanted to make sure I got a buy-in on this. So, look, Jesus answered the question when the disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. And when Jesus taught them how to pray, he answered that question. I don't know if they understood it at the time, but I'm going to help you understand it this morning. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth, help me out somebody, as it is in heaven. Let me say it again. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. So God is interested and concerned about the same thing you're concerned about. God is concerned about what you're you're concerned about. How do I get Jesus' victory in heaven applied to my trials and the trials of those around me upon the earth, where there's still wars and conflict and confusion and sickness, and we still see the influence of Satan operating. So how do we apply that victory? God said, pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth like it is in heaven. So can I break it down to make it simple for you? Whatever happened in heaven to to cause heaven to go, the kingdom's come. Will of God's done. Boom, the accuser's gone. Nobody up there sick. No one's losing their mind. Nobody's walking around with agita, uh, uh, um, all freaked out because of the trials they're going through. Nobody's stressed out. There's, there are no people or angels, uh, anybody up in heaven who's under siege. Nobody's beseeching God to help them out with their problems. Kingdom came. Will of God's done. Peace reigns. Hallelujah. So, he said, pray that whatever happened to make that come about in heaven, that it happened upon the earth. Kingdom come, will be done in earth, like it is in heaven, like it is in heaven, like it is in heaven, like it is in heaven. So, what happened in heaven that brought about that result? May that happen in my family, in my personal life, in the sphere of my influence. So let me share with you heaven's strategy and tactics for a free world. Heaven has a strategy, and with that strategy, there are tactics. There are heaven's strategy and tactics for world freedom. Hallelujah. Under the King of glory, the King of peace, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, the reason I use the term strategy and tactic is because strategy is the overall plan. This is how we're going to win this battle. That's the strategy. That's the plan. Tactics are how you actually apply that strategy. So there is a battle plan, and then soldiers have tactics. They know how to war 
hand to hand. They know how to get into the face of the enemy and confront him and defeat him. That's tactics. So you need a strategy and you need tactics. Some Christians go running off and they got a general idea of God's strategy, but they, they don't live their life with any tactics. Others have got the tactics, but there's no plan. There's no strategy. Heaven has both strategy and tactics for world freedom. Let me tell you what heaven's strategy is. I call it the one, two, three step strategy. The one, two, three plan. Everybody go one, two, three. Heaven has a very simple one, two, three strategy for freedom upon the earth. One, the advocate intercessor ascends into heaven. Number one. Number one, Jesus defeats the devil, sheds his blood for our sin, rises up, sits on the throne of God. Number one, the advocate intercessor is on the throne in heaven. Step two in the one, two, three strategy, is the kingdom of God comes. The announcement was made. Now the kingdom of God has come. Step three, the will of God be done. One, two, three, advocate intercessor lifted up. Kingdom of God comes, will of God is done. Let me say it again because it's real simple. One, two, three. This is the one, two, three plan to put your life in order. This is the one, two, three plan for victory in your life. One, the advocate intercessors lifted up. Two, kingdom of God comes. Three, the will of God's done. Let me tell you why Christians are having a hard time today and always have had a hard time. Because they try to get three without one and two. They, they want the will of God, but they don't live according to the kingdom. Or... They are trying to have the righteousness, peace, and joy of the kingdom. They'd like to see the will of God done, but they're not exalting. They're not starting with step one, the exaltation of the advocate intercessor who is absolutely triumphant. Instead, they see a Jesus who's still fighting the devil. They're, they're fighting a Jesus that's a false Jesus. A lot of Christians worship, and I don't want to uh, be provocative with this statement, but let me be a little bit shocking and say, a lot of Christians... Uh, you know, it's a mistake, it's, it's not intentional, but they, they worship a Jesus that isn't real. Doesn't mean they're not saved or the real Jesus doesn't love them, but their image of Jesus is not a real image. They worship a Jesus that's still wrestling with the devil. They would never say that, but by the way they live their lives, they think in their mind that God's still fighting with the devil over their life. So the one, two, three plan begins with Jesus is ascended, ever lives to make intercession. No room for the devil, he's cast out. Number two, the kingdom of God comes. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. The, the, the place where Jesus is honored as Lord, where he is welcomed into your house. He's ever living in your house as the intercessor, as the advocate. Because through the Holy Spirit working in you, you are bathing your life, bathing your house in prayer and in the presence of God. Every lie that the devil tries to bring up, it doesn't get through the door. If it does, it gets kicked right back out again. Every time the devil tries to say something against you, boom, out the door. Why? Because the advocate intercessor, whoever lives to make intercession, says no, strife can't enter into this house because the Prince of Peace is here. See, you could defeat everything if you'll just begin with step one of the strategy. The advocate intercessor is the one out of whom comes love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, 
meekness, temperance, self-control, all of those things issue out of him. So every time those anything opposite of that tries to work its way into your family, don't begin by running into your bedroom and falling down and starting to pray, Lord, please take the stripe out of my house, oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Because you're just stirring the strife up with your agitated spirit. Getting all worked up and foaming and, and carrying on. Begin with step one. The advocate intercessor has defeated. This is a defeated issue. This is, a, this is an issue that already has victory over it. Where is that victory? Jesus, Lord, you ever live to intercede for me. I welcome you. You are my peace. Your peace overcomes this strife. I just thank you that the devil has no right to bring strife into my house. So I begin by settling it right now. I lift the name of Jesus. Put the blood over my house. Strife, you cannot exist. You cannot exist. I lift up Jesus. Guess what's going to happen? Very quickly, the announcement will come over your house that came in heaven. Now is the kingdom of God come. Not because you want righteousness, peace, and joy, but because you started to intercede according to the advocate. What caused that announcement in heaven was the arrival of the advocate intercessor, casting out the accuser. You can't keep thinking things that welcome the accuser into your life and at the same time expect the advocate intercessor to bring the kingdom results into your life. It's not going to work. You've got to lift up Jesus Christ and everything that he stands for and know that the accuser must be cast out. You cannot make the accuser welcome. You cannot permit him. You can't tolerate him. You can't give him legitimacy. He has no legitimacy. Either Jesus is Lord, in which case there is no accuser that stands before him. Jesus hasn't seen the devil in over 2,000 years. Let me say it again, because I know you think they have breakfast together. I know you think, I, they're grappling, they're wrestling. Oh man, Jesus, I got arms filled with devil today, man. Woo, things are going on on the earth, and I'm fighting with the devil. Oh, here come some demons. Michael, come help me. Gabriel, come give me a hand. And there's Jesus, like a, you know, he's all, you know, buffed and cut up and, and muscular, and he's fighting with that big old bloppy devil, sumo devil. It's nonsense. He hadn't even seen the devil. I haven't spoken to him in 2,000 years. The devil can't talk to God. But he's sure talking to you. So you need, to, you need to let the word, the living word of God rule your life. I'll tell you, the devil shut up in a heartbeat. He'll get out of your way. He will draw. And you won't, it won't be because you all of a sudden did the right things. It won't be because, oh, now you're not, you're not making mistakes in your life anymore. You make the mistakes in your life. It's between you and God. Come on, let me say it again. I'm going to use English this time. You, I'm not saying you can or should go make mistakes, but I'm saying you're going to make mistakes. Keep it between you and God. Don't involve the devil. The devil has no right to be involved in, in sin. Or mistakes in your life. It's between you and the advocate. It's between you and the one who died for your sin. The devil has no right to be involved in sins that, that, uh, that you fall in. Should you go fall in sin? Absolutely not. But the, devil, the Lord's not throwing you out to the devil. Are you listening to me? This just makes good sense, doesn't it? It does make good sense. Praise the Lord. You don't need a lot of theology to figure this out. Because this is, this is horse sense. You, I mean, I could teach this to a horse, he'd understand it. 
He, he did it. But you, you teach that convoluted religious nonsense to people, and man, you need, all of a sudden, you need four years of Bible college, three more years of seminary, and even then, everybody's arguing. It doesn't make, because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. Either Jesus rose up, and Revelation 12 is true, or it's not true. Somebody say, praise the Lord. All right, so let us, let us move on. So that strategy, that strategy is the one, two, three plan. Exalt Jesus. He ascends up into the heaven. Kingdom of God comes. Will of God's done. And let me just say this. It's not will of God come, kingdom, uh, will of God be done, kingdom come. It doesn't work like that. It's not works. It's not you go out and do the will of God and then the kingdom comes. The Bible says, Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's a reason why the kingdom of God coming preceded the will of God being done. In heaven, the kingdom of God came when Jesus the king rose up and defeated the enemy. Then the will of God began to take place and, and happen. Then the will of God was done. doesn't work the other way around. If it worked the other way around, Moses, we'd been worshiping Moses today instead of Jesus. Are you with me? If it, were, if it was the other way around, if, if we did the will of God and then it brought the kingdom of God into our situation, we'd be worshiping Moses. We'd be saying, praise you, Moses, praise the law, instead of praise you, Jesus. Do you understand that things being done right happen finally after the kingdom of God has come? So it's relationship with the king. Jesus is the one that sets up his kingdom, hallelujah, and makes everything to flow in his perfect order. Glory to God, hallelujah. Now, um, there is, there is, besides this strategy, there's a tactic. There's tactics. So how practically do we apply this one, two, three strategy? I like to call the tactic that God uses the gap forces, kind of like the special forces. But you are God's gap forces, G-A-P-P, God's ambassadorial praying preachers. As ambassadors of Christ, when you pray as an ambassador of Christ, when you pray that ambassadorial prayer, when you preach and use the Word of God as an ambassador of Christ, God, God applies that one, two, three strategy. That's the tactic. This is how you get it done. You get it done by preaching and praying as an ambassador of Christ. Now, you say, where'd you get that? I got that right out of our verse in Matthew. They said, teach us how to pray. Because we can see that prayer is what makes everything happen. God moves through prayer. So he said, if you want victory over the enemy, it begins as a matter of prayer. What should we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So God says, eventually the earth is going to succumb to the victory that is right now in heaven. And it's going to do so because you have prayed thy kingdom come and will be done. So that's the gap. That's the gap tactic. You're God's gap forces. God's ambassadors praying and preaching. That ambassadorial word. Now, not everybody that prays and preaches, prays and preaches an ambassadorial. Comes from the word ambassador. Matter of fact, I think most Christians don't pray and don't preach like ambassadors. 
Let me say this to you. One of the problems is too many Christians are, haven't figured out that we're not supposed to be advocates of the earth when we pray. We're supposed to be ambassadors of heaven. Too many Christians pray standing on earth looking up to heaven instead of standing in the heavenly seat of Christ looking upon the needs of the earth. Instead of declaring heaven's answer to the problem, they stand in the middle of the problem and try to lawyer up and explain the problem to God. They advocate for the needs of earth rather than declare the answer from heaven. Are you beginning, am I making sense to anybody? This is what I mean by ambassadorial. You act as an ambassador. The ambassador of Christ isn't walking around in the problems of the world saying, i got to go tell God about these problems. You're going to tell God about something He doesn't know about? What are you going to tell God about that He doesn't know? What are you going to explain to Him? I, sometimes I catch myself praying sometimes and I think, do I think God doesn't know about this? Does God? I know the Bible says, ask that you may receive. But I always have to remind myself, position yourself as an ambassador and stop playing advocate. Every nut and his brother today wants to be an advocate. We got every defeated, disenfranchised group of people in our society. This group and that group and this person and that one's feelings are hurt. And oh my God, they need, they need advocacy. They need a, the problem is today that Christians have fallen under the, that false spirit of advocacy. And they're whining and complaining to God about all the inequities and all the injustices that are going on in the earth. Hey, God doesn't need an advocate for the earth. God has an advocate for the earth. His name is Jesus. He came and He solved every problem. In Him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. In Him was every single answer. He doesn't need you talking to Him about the problems. He doesn't need you talking to Him about social injustice. He doesn't need you talking to Him about inequity. He doesn't need you talking to Him about uh, uh, economic injustice. He doesn't need you talking to Him about the problems the devil's creating or this group or that one. He knows all about it. What He needs in order to apply the one, two, three strategy of victory and freedom, as he needs some ambassadors who will stand up in the kingdom of God and declare what God has said over that situation. Pray God's answer instead of praying the problem. Amen. He already knows the problem. If we dwell more on the answer, when we ask for those requests we would see a result. Can you say praise the Lord? Hallelujah. I know you, it's getting a little weak in here. I'm going to have to wrap this up. Praise God. All right, now listen. God's ambassadors. I'm going to just take the last few minutes and share with you how we as ambassadors pray. The accusers cast out. How do we apply our victory over him? When we pray and preach according to John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 7 through 11, at the Last Supper, Jesus gave a few sentences that opened up a window of revelation as to how we would operate as ambassadors. And he says, I'm going to go. And they're all upset. What do you mean you're going to go? He says, I have to go. It's expedient. It's necessary. If I go, then I can send the Holy Spirit to you. Do you remember when he said that at the Last Supper? Let me, let me read it to you. Jesus says to us, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage 
your advantage. Everyone say, my advantage. What I'm about to tell you is for your advantage. Say, my advantage. Say, what I'm about to hear is my advantage. Okay, now, Jesus said what you're about to hear is for your advantage. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, and in the original Greek language, it's the advocate intercessor. The helper, the advocate intercessor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So even though the announcement's made in heaven, now has come the kingdom of God, the accuser's cast out. He's come down to you. Woe to you. He's come down to you with wrath. Don't worry, I'm sending the helper. Who is the helper? The advocate intercessor. So that you can apply the authority that is reverberating from the throne of God into your little situation upon the earth. For if I go, I will send the helper, the advocate intercessor, and he will come, and he'll come to you. If I go, I'll send him, he'll come. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, everyone say sin, Sin. and righteousness and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. So when the advocate intercessor comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now listen to this. He now explains it. He's going to convict the world of sin because they, everyone say they, they they do not believe in me. And he's going to convict the world of righteousness because I go to the Father and you, everyone say you, you will see me no more. And finally, he's going to convict the world of judgment because the prince of this world, the devil, everyone say the devil, is judged. Now, in those three applications, He shows us how the advocate intercessor deals with all three groups upon the earth. Them, us, and the devil. Them being the unsaved, us being the saved, and the devil, who is the accuser, cast down and won't shut up down here on the earth. But he's about to be shut up. Can you say praise the Lord? So he says, here's how you deal with this situation. I'm sending the helper, the Holy Spirit, the advocate intercessor, so that the one who is reigning at the throne of God is also going to be living in you. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Why? Because the advocate intercessor is in you. That's why it's so important that you think like Him and speak like Him and listen like Him. Do not listen to things He refuses to listen to. I'm going to say this again. This is going to be the... uh, this is going to be the MVP of the, of the sermon today, this statement. God won't listen to him, so you don't listen to him. So it's not just I speak what Jesus speaks. It's not just I think and believe what Jesus believes. It's I won't listen to what Jesus won't listen to. Uh, the, the Lord kicked him out and said, I'm not listening to the accuser anymore. There, I cannot, did you know they can't occupy the same space? The intercessor advocate cannot occupy the same space as the accuser. They cannot. And so when the advocate rose, Jesus rose, the accuser can no longer be. And guess what? When you receive the helper, when you allow yourself to be full of the Spirit, the accuser cannot occupy that same. He cannot cannot, 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 cannot be in the midst of you working his, th- his deal. 
you refuse to listen. Because you're listening to the advocate intercessor, the Holy Spirit. So, he says, when the advocate intercessor comes, he applies the one, two, three strategy to all three levels of characters in the world today. It says he convicts the sinners because they don't believe in Jesus. So what is the sin that the Holy Spirit, you want to pray for unsaved people? Let's say I have a friend who's a drug addict. He said, Lord, just deliver them. They're just sinning and taking drugs and everything. Maybe they're a sex addict and tied up in pornography, or, or maybe they're, uh, maybe they're uh, bound up in the gay life, or maybe they're, uh, they're uh, just a selfish, ugly, nasty person. Whatever it is that they're bound up in, they're unsaved. God is not chasing them down about their drugs. He's not chasing them down about homosexuality. He's not chasing them down. The Holy Ghost is not at them, convicting them. You shouldn't be drinking. You shouldn't be drinking that booze. You shouldn't be taking those drugs. Should they be doing? Does God care about that? Yes, He cares about it. There are things that are right, things that are wrong. Nothing has changed. What is sin is still sin. But what is it that God's convicting the sinner about? Because they believe not on Jesus. You can have all that other stuff cleaned up, but if you don't receive and believe in Jesus, you're not getting into the presence of God. He's the one who ever lives to make intercession. So if you want to know how do I effectively pray for the unsaved, pray, Holy Spirit, convict them about not believing in Jesus. He said, that's what I am here to do. I am here to convict the unsaved about not believing in Jesus. So if you're praying for somebody, pray, Lord, convict them about not believing in Jesus. Let them not have any rest. Let it bother them. Let it, let it ter- create turmoil within them. Maybe Jesus is Lord. That's how I got saved. I was an atheist, had never been in a church, never opened a Bible once in my life, didn't know the first thing about Jesus, didn't know who he was. One day somebody told me about Jesus. I didn't understand a word they were saying. Just kind of went in one ear and out the other. But the, somebody must have been praying for me that God would convict me about Jesus. Because one night, all of a sudden, I just it hit me like a, like a brick house. I had to know if Jesus is real. That is the thing that the Holy Spirit's going after sinners with. Then he goes on and he says, he convicts. Now I'm going to read you the verse so you, you, you won't believe it if I, if I just say it to you. Let me, re, let me read it to you in verse 9, John 16. Concerning sin, about the sinners, then the very next one, verse 10. He convicts concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, the intercessor ascended up, and you, the saved, will see me no longer. So now he's talking about saved people. He, you, he turns to the disciples, he says, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the unsaved them, but he also comes to convict you. What is the Holy Spirit convicting Christians about today? People always say, oh man, he's been on me about my mouth. I got to do something about my tongue. And yeah, I don't doubt it. You probably are feeling conviction about that tongue. You need to do something about it. You're, You're absolutely right. But you as a saved person, you're probably convicting yourself about it. And that's a good thing. You should pay attention and do something about it. And do something about that foolishness. But let me tell you what the Holy Ghost is convicting you about. The Bible says the Holy Ghost is convicting you about righteousness. He's trying to get, convict you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Your own mind, your heart, other people, and the devil himself is trying to talk to you about everything else. And the Holy Ghost is talking to you about righteousness. Yeah. 
not going and getting righteous, but allowing yourself to be the righteousness of God in Christ. He's dealing with you about that. And then thirdly, I wanted you to get this. How do we deal with the devil? He convicts of judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, is judged. That means, that means, hallelujah, that means that the devil gets the message, you're already judged. And whenever one of my people rebuke you and they know what they're doing, you've got no alternative but to be cast down. He's not just cast down once. He is continuously being cast down wherever God's people use that one, two, three strategy against him. He cannot resist. He cannot hold out against. Glory to God. The prince of this world, the devil, is judged. And as long as you and I fail to understand that, we're going to give him, and all he needs is just a little bit of a little gap, come in there and operate. But when you and I know that he's judged, we start praying and acting, then we can bind and take dominion over him, and he will obey. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The next section that we're going to go into is I want to share some insights for gap forces, some specific insights about when you pray and you take authority over the enemy and you apply this victory, how do you do that? There's some awesome, tremendous insights but that's going to be for the next message. So, Hallelujah. We're going to put a chip clip on it and just hold it right there. So we're going to get down to the nitty gritty of, of what, how this all ties together. And I know that nothing I'm saying is, is really new to you. But we're sewing together a lot of old familiar things that we've known. But putting it together in I think a tight positive package that will help believers to understand Glory to God, who He is in us. Let's stand together. This is what I want you to do. I, I'm pretty certain that that last few minutes that I was sharing about the Holy Spirit, the advocate, intercessor, that you, that you got the fact that while Jesus is sitting in heaven, on the throne, ever living to make intercession, He and the Holy Spirit are one. So He comes also and sits upon the throne of your heart as the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit, He is specifically the advocate intercessor in your life. So the victor, the kingdom of God has come in you. You just have to let Him have the Lordship and operate. So I want everybody to come down to the front this morning. I'm going to have everyone come down and we're going to pray together. You... Are, and if you, I know that some of you can't stand. If you feel free to sit on the front row if, you, if you'd like to. But I want you to bunch up nice and close. Get up close, bunch up. <laughs>